Nathan this morning as we continue our sermon series for Advent, Songs of Light in a World of Darkness. Uh, well, uh, before planting uh, City Hope, uh, Whitney and I lived on uh, the other side of town, like uh, in, in Bridget's neighborhood, right down the street from Bridget. It was very fun. We loved that neighborhood. It was so great. Uh, but we knew kind of planting City Hope downtown, we wanted to be downtown. Uh, we knew like it's like a what like a five eight minute drive or whatever. But we knew like culturally, it's kind of a big world of difference. And we knew we wanted to get downtown, and so that was part of the plan. We were uh, praying about that and and uh, walking through that and trying to find a place. And uh, we did not recognize that one of the most challenging things about planting a church would just be selling our house. Our house would not sell. Like, it felt sort of absurd. Uh, we had had so many friends uh, in other ministry contexts be like, you know, uh, we are here and God called us to do this other thing. And, and it was so confirming because our house sold before it even went on the market. And we were like, well, that's not our experience. We had 70 showings on our house and zero offers. Like, not even an offer, not even a lowball offer. Like, hey, I'll give you two bucks for it and a pack of gum. Like, nothing. It was super frustrating. And so finally, we found this place and we were like, we, we got to do it. And we didn't love the house, but it was like, okay, we'll do it. It was like bright purple. It was, it was not the ideal scenario. It was not the ideal story. And finally, uh, we, we ended up not buying that house. You know, our house is not bright purple, uh, if you've been to our house. And, and we found the place, and God provided for us uh, immeasurably. And we were very thankful. But our house still didn't sell. Eventually it sold, but then it was super complicated the way it sold. And a couple years in, into that, we actually had to take possession of it again. Uh, and we had already bought the house next to us in a tax sale for super cheap so that it wouldn't get turned into a really scary place. Uh, and we were really excited about that. So we owned three houses in Muncie at that point, And we were like, man, we are real estate moguls. It was not a sign of wealth. <laughs> it was exactly the opposite. We were super stressed. Finally, our house sold again. And it is no longer in our possession. And we are so thankful for that. But it was a long time. And it was really stressful. And it was one of those things that was like, this is not the biggest problem in the world. But it was like, Lord, what are you doing? Like, we're trying to plant a church. And like, we're not asking for something crazy. It's a good house. We're just asking for it to sell. <laughs> like, we're not asking for crazy profit on it. We just want it to sell. And it was really frustrating. It was a seemingly unanswered prayer. What unanswered prayers do you have in your life? Maybe you've been praying for a spouse and there isn't a relationship that's leading that direction. Maybe you've been praying for a satisfying job, but your job is kind of terrible. It's a dead-end job. You don't love it. Or you don't have a job. Maybe you've been praying for provision. God, would you show up and provide for us? But you still struggle month to month or even day to day. Maybe you've been praying for justice. 
in a situation in your life personally or in a situation in our city or in our country or in our, in our world, and yet you still see injustice always. Praying for peace, and yet there are still conflicts. Prayer for peace of mind, and yet you still every day battle depression, anxiety, and mental health struggles. Praying for holiness, and yet it seems like you continue to struggle with that same sin over and over and over again. Praying for release, and yet you still struggle with addiction. Praying for your health, and you're still dealing with chronic physical pain or disease or some way in which your body or the body of those that you love doesn't work the way it's supposed to. Praying for life, and yet you still see loved ones die. Or, like we're going to see in this passage, praying for a child and yet remaining childless. In our Advent reading this morning, it dealt with the narrative function or the narrative sections surrounding uh, the song that we're going to focus on here this morning from Zechariah. And in this song from a mute prophet, and it's really a, it's it's a prophetic speech that functions kind of like a song. And because it works better for my sermon title, we're going to call it a song. So it's a song. Zechariah probably sung it, maybe, or you know, maybe he hummed it or something, you know, when he said it. So we're going to call it a song. But in the narrative function or in narrative parts that we were around, uh, it said that Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Now, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him, but the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. God has heard your prayer. Now, we aren't given any details about what Zechariah and Elizabeth had been praying for, but it seems clear that they had been praying for a child. That they were righteous in God's sight. That they were older. They were faithful to God. And they had prayed. Probably for a really long time. They're old. Haven't had a child. They're longing for a child. And certainly in this culture, in this space, uh, for Israel, it was very important that God worked through generations. And so, like, uh, one of the major story themes throughout the entire scriptures is that of longing for children and not getting children. So, it's a big theme throughout the scriptures of longing for children and yet being barren. Imagine the agony of these unanswered prayers for Zechariah and Elizabeth walking through this year after year. Zechariah is serving faithfully in the temple. He's doing the right thing. He's righteous before God's eyes. He's obeying. And yet the Lord won't give them something that seems so good and right. I think some of the most difficult places for us when we are in the agony of unanswered prayer is when it seems like this 
thing that I'm longing for. I, you know, I, I, I'm open, Lord, to my heart being in the wrong place and needing to repent of this. But I think it's really a good thing. I think I'm really in a good spot. I don't see how this thing could not be honoring to you. And yet, you keep saying no. You keep saying no. Why? I'm sure that Zechariah and Elizabeth wrestled through this thing. And then the Lord answers their prayer. He answers their prayer. And Zechariah's response is this. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now and my wife is also well along in years. It's really interesting here because Gabriel sort of rebukes Zechariah in this and and he's like, you're not going to speak again until this baby's born. Uh, which Elizabeth was probably like, thank you, Lord. I mean, this is great. Uh, I don't have to listen to Zechariah anymore. I'm sure he was chatty. He was a prophet. I'm sure he was chatty. So, like, but it's interesting because Mary, we looked at Mary last week, right? Doesn't Mary ask the same exact thing? She's like, Gabriel, how can this be? I'm a virgin. Gabriel answers that question and yet doesn't rebuke her. It seems very clear that there's probably a difference in heart posture and that questions aren't the problem, but the disposition of our heart might be. Because it's the exact same question. And yet Mary asked the question while trusting and Zechariah asked the question while not trusting. Doesn't believe and yet asked the question. So he's mute until birth. Now, clearly, right, it's not that Zechariah was this unrighteous man that didn't believe God, right? He was called righteous just moments before. God still answers his prayer, even in the midst of that. And clearly, Zechariah believes moving forward. But in this moment, it is this odd sort of tension of uh, Mary asking this prayer and clearly believing in her heart while asking a question, which means it's actually really okay to ask questions. And even... To ask questions in unbelief, the Lord still answers Zechariah's prayer. He just has this consequence of being you. But how do we, uh, this uh, scenario, this spot in the scriptures, what I don't want to do this morning is ask the question okay, Zechariah was praying, Zechariah and Elizabeth were praying, unanswered prayer, lots of agony with that. But yet, look how great it turned out. It happened. What if we're still in the midst of the unanswered prayer? That's what I want to ask this morning. So this isn't a text in which we're going to look at and say, okay, Zechariah, he trusted God, and then look, God showed up and did exactly what he wanted. I want to ask the question, what about all those years that Zechariah and Elizabeth were struggling in unanswered prayer? How do we trust God in the midst of unanswered prayers? And what we're going to do is look at Zechariah's speech afterwards, his song, his prophecy afterwards, uh, to wrestle through this question. After John is born, Zechariah responds in this prophetic speech, and we're going to answer this question of how to trust God in the midst of unanswered prayers by wrestling through the, the, the speech that Zechariah shows, which is really full of covenant theology. That the answer to us trusting God in the midst of unanswered prayers is covenant theology. And so we'll get there.
Trust me, we're going to go that direction. All right, so let's read the rest of this text, uh, starting in verse 67. So this is after John is born, right? And uh, they, they ask, what, what, do you, what are you going to name him? And this whole scene happens with Elizabeth and Zechariah. And after uh, Zechariah is able to speak again, he says this, Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell His people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins because of God's tender mercy. The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. Now, this text is full of all sorts of uh, pictures of covenant theology. This is the same text. We're going to look at this in just a second. But the answer to trusting God in the midst of unanswered prayers I'm going to offer to us is covenant theology. Now, you might be thinking, I thought the answer to everything was Jesus. Well, yes, it is actually. And Jesus is the center of covenant theology. And so we're going to look at what that means uh, and, and how we get there. But, but what does that have to do with Zechariah's song here. And I want to show you some language that shows up in Zechariah's song here that is going to give us an indication that uh, Zechariah is giving this prophecy in the midst of a rich history of what God has been doing in, uh, in throughout the Scriptures and throughout the history of Israel. So, a couple of phrases here that highlight for us uh, that I want to look at. So, praise the Lord, the God of Israel. So, okay, what does Israel have to do with this whole thing? Clearly, Zechariah thinks that this is God doing something through a people that he's been working in for a long time. And it says that he has visited and redeemed his people. So we're going to come back to that phrase here in a moment. Then it says, he has given us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David. Okay? So, so we've got this God of Israel visited and redeemed his people from the royal line of his servant David. Just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago, now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful, he has been merciful to our ancestors. Uh, this is a really fascinating phrase. He's been merciful to our ancestors by what he's doing right now. This is what Zechariah is saying. What he's doing right now is showing God's mercy to our ancestors. How? Well, because God is remembering his sacred covenant. There's the word that we're going to focus on. And it's, what, it's the covenant that he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. So we have this 
right at the center of this, that God is being merciful in what He's doing right now by remembering the covenant that He had with Abraham. But also, something about David and also something about Israel, there's like this whole big thing going on here that God has, is going to rescue us and all of this, right, is that God is going to rescue us from our enemies so that we can serve Him. This song is filled with covenant language. It's filled with covenant language that shows up all throughout the Scriptures. Now, what's a covenant? <laughs> right? Some of you may be thinking, what's a covenant? How do, how, do, how do we understand this stuff? It's been a while since I've taught on this, but uh, on our website we do have all of our old sermons, and we actually taught through all of God's covenants this was many years ago uh, now, uh, where we taught through all of God's covenants throughout the Scriptures. Uh, but in that uh, sermon series, I offered this definition of a biblical covenant. It's a binding relationship motivated by love and secured by law between God and His global people. A binding relationship motivated by love and secured by law between God and His global people. It's what it means when we say that we have a relationship with God. When we use that language that we believe that Christianity offers us a way to have a relationship with God, what we're talking about is God entering into a covenant with us. A binding relationship. It's not just like a, a random relationship that you might strike up with someone in a conversation on a bus and be like, hey, now we have a relationship. No, no, this is like a binding relationship in which God makes promises to us His people and we respond to those promises with our own promises to God, our own response to those things. Now, we're going to unpack how this language here affects seeing that in all of Scripture and what that means for unanswered prayers. This is not uh, the, the thing that I think about this, uh, about covenant theology that I think is so incredibly important is not because it's this abstract theology in which we learn this stuff about how God works, but it doesn't really affect our day-to-day. -day. Now, I think if we are going to trust God with unanswered prayers, we need to see His trustworthiness in answered promises. If, we, if you want to trust God with unanswered prayer, then you need to see Him as trustworthy in answered promises promises. And the best way to show this is by tracing God's covenant with us throughout the Scriptures. To trace this through. Uh, in his book, Covenants Made Simple, which I would highly recommend if you want an introduction to covenant theology and an understanding of how this works. And this uh, affects so much of what City Hope believes and, and what we are seeking to do in the world is from covenant theology. Uh, John T. Rhodes wrote this book, and he's got a cool name, John T. Rhodes. Like, that's a, that's a cool author name, right? So Covenant's Made Simple. Uh, you can borrow this if you want. Um, covenant, he says, is the theme that links the different books of the Bible to make them one united story, blazing through the Old Testament like a firework before exploding into full color in the coming of Christ. That's why this passage uses so much language that's full of Old Testament language showing up when Jesus shows up on the scene Zechariah is saying this is fulfilling 
all of these things that God has been talking about throughout all of history. All of the things that God has been doing. And so I want to, this morning, I want to briefly sketch for you an ark of these covenants. Uh, not the ark of the covenant, but the, an ark of these covenants and the way in which God is working throughout history so that we can come in the agony of unanswered prayer to a trustworthy God who keeps His promises. God is, has been doing one great thing throughout history. One thing. Saving His global people. And the way that He has chosen to do that is through a series of covenants, a series of promises with both individuals and then people that build upon one another. They're, they're not disconnected things, but they're one thing that God is doing together. So, first, start with Adam. After the fall, Adam and Eve, God makes a covenant with Adam and Eve to send a rescuer. To send a rescuer who will crush their enemy, the serpent. You see this language here? We have been rescued from our enemies. This is hearkening back to this promise that God has made to Adam and Eve. That I am going to send a rescuer who will crush the serpent. The covenant continues through Noah, where God makes a covenant with Noah and all of creation after the flood not to flood the whole earth again. And then God makes a covenant, covenant with Abraham to bless all the families of the earth and to be God for him and all of his descendants and that those people would be his people. Right? We see Zechariah point to this in this text. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. What Zechariah is saying is that the fulfillment of whatever God promised to Abraham is happening now. By John being born as a, as a forerunner for Jesus, announcing Jesus' is coming, in some way that's fulfilling a promise that God made to Abraham. That God promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations and that all the families of the earth would be blessed through him. Now after Abraham... We were doing the very quick sketch, guys. Okay, So after Abraham comes Moses and a covenant that God makes with Moses and the people of Israel through the law. He redeems them and then gives them His law. Now, I want to show you the connection here between this text and Moses. With this, he has, we have been rescued from our enemies and that He has visited and redeemed His people. Whoops i got to cancel this out. Okay, yeah. So in Exodus 6.6, 6, it says this, Therefore say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and, a, and great acts of judgment. This word rescue here in the Greek version of the Old Testament is the same word rescue that Zechariah uses. Zechariah is using language that draws out the Exodus. God redeeming His people. So, Zechariah is saying, what's happening right now with Jesus is like the serpent crusher. It's also like the Exodus. It's also like Abraham being promised. And it's also like David being promised that there would always be a king. 
in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God says to David, your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time and your throne will be secure forever. There will always be a king on the throne in the line of David. So Zechariah is saying what's happening right now in the coming of Jesus connects Adam, connects Noah, connects Abraham, connects Moses, connects David, and then he says things that God has promised through the holy prophets. It connects these promises that God has made through the prophets of a new covenant coming. We see these promises in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Now, here's the crazy thing, right? He says this is a new covenant, but the promise is I will be their God and they will be my people. That's the promise of every other covenant. So it's new in some ways, and yet it's not entirely new. As though God is saying, hey, I did this thing. We're abandoning that plan. We're doing plan B now. No, this is, I'm doing this new thing. This new version of the covenant that's going to be more secure. And actually, it's the thing that I always planned to do. It's the thing that I, all these other things were pointing to. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. I think there's another one. Nope, there's not another one. So, all of these things, this new covenant is fulfilled in Jesus. So we could look at it this way, that these covenants... This is this one promise that God has made. And it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Expanding to more and more people. But the whole thing is connected. So Adam, to Noah, to Abraham, to Moses, to David, to the new covenant. All along the way, the promise is, I will be your God and you will be my people. And all along the way, it's pointing to a fulfillment in Jesus. It's pointing to this fulfillment in Jesus. Jesus is the promised covenant Savior. Which is why Zechariah can say, God is being merciful to our ancestors. Because Zechariah knows that there's coming a day in the resurrection of the dead in which all of his ancestors who were waiting on the Messiah are getting that same promise fulfilled. It's not just like, Zechariah in his day and us after that get to look back and say, Jesus did this thing for us. No, Jesus did this thing for Adam and for Noah and for Abraham and all the people of Israel in Moses and under David. And now to the whole globe, all who trust in Jesus can have this assurance of forgiveness of sins, of God being your God, and you being His people. This has been true in all the things that God has promised to do. Now, in the midst of this, Jesus is the culmination, the fulfillment of all of these things. And so, when 
Zechariah says that God has, uh, just as He promised through His holy prophets long ago, He's not just referring to individual prophecies about Jesus. Those are real. They exist. I think sometimes when we think about Jesus being the culmination of prophecy, we look to these two passages only. Isaiah 7, All right, then the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call Him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then in Micah 5, But you, O Bethlehem, are... I'm not even going to try that next word. Uh, my, I, can't, I can't say that. It's hard. Uh, are only a small village among the, all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. Now, these are very real prophecies looking forward to the coming of Jesus, that He would be born in Bethlehem, that He would be born of a virgin. But these things fit within a broader framework of the covenants. Right? It's not simply when we think about the prophecy of Jesus, it's not simply that Jesus fulfills these individual prophecies, but also that Jesus is the fulfillment of every promise that God has made. Which is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for His glory. Jesus is the yes and amen to all of God's promises. The whole sweep of human history has been leading to this. When we say that Jesus is the fulfillment of these things, we don't simply mean because He was born of a virgin and because He was born in Bethlehem. We also mean because Jesus is the serpent crusher promised to Adam. Because Jesus is the way in which God will not destroy the whole earth again. Because Jesus is the way that all families on the earth will be blessed. That Jew and Gentile would come together and make the family that God promised to Abraham that will outnumber the stars in the skies. Because Jesus is the Redeemer bringing a new exodus for God's people out of all of our enemies of sin, death, and Satan. And redeeming us. Rescuing us from our slavery to sin and death. Because Jesus is the true Son of David. He's the true King that we really need. Because David wasn't it. And neither was Solomon. And it just gets worse after that. There's a few good ones, but man, it gets worse after that. They weren't the right King. But Jesus is that King. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of this new covenant. Every page of Scripture, everything that God has done, not just in Scripture, but in every moment throughout all of human history, God has been moving to this moment. And Zechariah has been waiting for a baby. He's been agonizing with Elizabeth for a baby. And now he gets to participate in the glorious rescue of all of God's people. Because God is actually doing something far bigger than just answering Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayer. But he's doing something for the whole globe. He's doing something in redeeming all people through this 
through this process, through bringing John to be a forerunner of Jesus. And in coming in the person of his son to save his people. That's why Zechariah goes on to say, And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, because you will prepare the way for the Lord. This, this is wild. Zechariah sees from knowing this story, from knowing all of the covenants, from knowing all that God has promised, it's not just that God is going to send a Messiah who's going to rescue us and a king that we need. He's going to come Himself. See, you're going to prepare the way not for our new king, though that's true, but for the Lord. God Himself is going to come. God Himself is going to come and dwell with us. You will tell His people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins because of God's tender mercy. The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. John is going to announce mercy Forgiveness and salvation. God, John is going to announce the Gospel coming. That one is going to come after me who will not baptize with water but will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Who will come and make all of these promises of the New Covenant true. That you, Jew and Gentile alike, you who come from every walk of life, no matter where you are or where you've come from or what you've done or what you're currently doing or what you will do, no matter what, if you would come to Me, you can have forgiveness of sins. You can be forgiven. You can be forgiven from your sins. You can find salvation. You can be in relationship with the God of the universe because He has had mercy on us. The story of Jesus, the story of Advent, the story of Christmas is one that should challenge us to think about this thing that God has been doing throughout all of time. And yes, we should be challenged because there are very specific prophecies that come true that were written, written far before Jesus comes. And yet we should be challenged even more because the story that this is telling has been written on our hearts. That we were made to know God. And that God is answering all of the things that He has promised throughout all of time in the person of His Son, Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you're not trusting in Jesus and Him alone for salvation... The good news of the Gospel is that God in His tender mercy has shown us a light. And Jesus is that light. Come to Him and experience His mercy and goodness. Now, Zechariah says, because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. To give light to those who sit in darkness. That means that this thing that God is doing, 
This glorious thing that God has promised and that He is still doing is for you when you sit in darkness. And maybe it's the darkness of unanswered prayer. Wrestling with God, what are you doing? I don't know what you're doing. This is a good thing that I'm praying for. Why won't you answer it? Why won't you answer this thing? The reality is in the midst of that, we can ask that question not in unbelief like Zechariah does, but in belief like Mary does. Because we don't see the reason. We don't see why. We are confused about how this is possible. And yet we can trust because God has shown Himself to be trustworthy through answered promises. The history of redemption. Adam and Eve didn't see the rescuer. Noah didn't see the rescuer. Abraham didn't see all the families of the earth being blessed. Moses didn't even get into the promised land. David saw the kingdom pretty much shatter right before him, right? Like, it's not going to go well, right? And yet you promised that there's going to be someone on the throne from my line forever and ever. And even Zechariah, he says, the morning light is coming. Look at this. This is glorious. But what does he get? He gets a baby. He's going to have to wait a long time. He waited a long time. Then he gets a baby. This is exactly how God works, right? Throughout all of history. He's like, Oh, I know you guys have been waiting and struggling and wrestling through these things. So here's a baby. Just wait a little bit longer. It'll be fine. Some of that is the Lord just showing us, you need to trust me. I'm not doing this thing in your timing. Even when it's a really good thing, I'm not doing it in your timing. I'm doing it in my timing. But I am trustworthy. Because every promise I have made comes true in Jesus. And we can trust Him for our present and our future. Not just because we can look back on our own lives, which we can. We can look back on our own lives and see, God, actually you did show up. You are trustworthy. But we don't just look at that. We get to, with Zechariah, look back at all of human history. God, you were faithful. You did say yes to your promises. You were faithful. We can trust Him because He has answered His promises. And so the reason we wrestle through these things and think through the deep theological implications of all of this stuff about covenants is not because we want to fill our brains with knowledge. It's because we want to trust God when things are really hard. And if you want to trust God when things are really hard, you need to know that He is trustworthy. And He has shown Himself to be, to be trustworthy. He has shown Himself to show up, to come to those of us who are sitting in darkness and to shine a light. So if you're in a place right now where you're wrestling with some unanswered prayers, I urge you to look to the answered promises of God. His answer to your prayer may still be no. 
We don't know that. We don't know the, I, don't, I, I can't assure you that just by looking to God's promises, you'll get a yes. That's not how it works. But I can assure you that on the other end of those prayers is a person who loves you, who you can trust. Because he's shown himself to be faithful in answering the promises that he's made to his people throughout all of history. So you can trust him. And we can sit together in the darkness of unanswered prayer and point to the light, the light of Jesus together. And he'll meet you there and be tender and close to you because of his tender mercy. Let's do that. Let's look to God's answered promises so that we can trust him with all of our prayers. Let's pray together now. Father, we come to you now and we pray, God, that you would be gracious to us. Lord, we wrestle with prayers that go unanswered. We wrestle through difficult things and painful experiences. We wrestle through all of these things, Lord. And we want to know that you are trustworthy. So God, would you show yourself to be trustworthy in our lives by us trusting you in all of the promises that you have answered in the person of your son, Jesus. And Jesus, would you help us to trust you in that so that we would worship and adore you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.